Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. We continue our series today called Jesus Up Close, and it is a study of the book of John. You might have gotten a John journal out there, actually, and you, if you didn't get one and you want to follow along and take notes, you can grab that in the lobby. Um, I said this last week, but Liz and I recently went to South Africa and had an amazing time. She lived there for several years and worked there, and so we got to, it was like a real personal kind of trip for us, but I, I'd never been. And so when you go somewhere like that, you just think about the differences, right? Like I, I tend to think about the things that are, that are going to be really different. It's 8,000 miles away, all right? Like that's a long, that's a 24, that was 24 hours pretty much straight of travel time. And, and so uh, I'm thinking there's going to be so many uh, things that are different from the, the language and, and uh, to like the driving, okay? I drove on the left side of the road for the first time in my life. Uh, it's weird, y'all, like it's weird. Uh, didn't get in any wrecks or anything. I don't think we even had any close calls, did we? We did good. We don't even know. Um, and uh, I mean, that was different. I was thinking the food is going to be different. And in some ways it was. We got to eat, uh, well, you can have ostrich here, but we got to eat ostrich steaks and we got to eat uh, this animal called kudu, which look up a picture of a kudu uh, if you want, a, I mean, a wild experience. I mean, it's an incredible antelope looking, Gandalf kind of looking animal. And uh, <laughs> we ate it. So... Um, Whatever, no judgment, uh, please, for that. Uh, the wildlife is completely different. I mean, completely different. We, we got to go see all the, the cool animals, and that was uh, un, unreal. The history is different, so we got to go to Johannesburg and go do a tour of Soweto. We got to uh, see Nelson Mandela's home that he, grew, that he sort of operated out of, his family operated out of during the apartheid years. And it, I mean, this, the history is just uh, incredible to learn more about that. And, and so, uh, and we're also like at the end of the continent, you know? I mean, like, like when you look at it on the map, we're at the very, very southernmost tip. And you're, I mean, I'm going there going, does, does gravity still work here, right? I mean, is it, is there, are we going to be like kind of tilted or what, what's going on down here? And it's, it's just everything, you know, those are all the differences. But I also realized when we got there that there were a lot of similarities. Uh, they have KFC. Does anybody like KFC still? There's <laughs> some proud KFC people. I like you raise your hand. I like that. Um, KFC's everywhere, right? Uh, McDonald's, of course. So I got to go have like a Diet Coke at McDonald's. Still the same Diet Coke, man. It was amazing. Um, you know what was there uh, that I was surprised to see was Krispy Kreme. I know, we, we had like a, oh, <laughs> multiple Krispy Kremes, not just one. We saw my, like, Krispy Kreme's making a move. They can't get a store in Huntersville, but they can get one in Cape Town. I got to talk. I mean, there have been Winston-Salem, right? Like, like, can somebody please talk to them? Uh, so uh, that was cool, I mean, to see that. They also, does anybody, you remember Woolworths? How old are you people? You remember Woolworths? We don't have Woolworths anymore, do we? There's like a five and dime or whatever we used to call those. Uh, Woolworths is a big deal there. It's actually like, it's like a, you walk into Woolworths, it's like a really nice Belk combined with a really nice Harris Teeter. Like they do food and uh, shop, you know, shopping, but it's super nice. 
uh, Woolies, they call it, Woolworth, Woolies. Um, one of the other things that I think was very similar was, and Liz has said this before, and I got to experience it firsthand, was the, the, the commonality between South African hospitality and Southern hospitality. Like, like we got to interact with some amazing people who just welcomed us into their home. They want to speak. They want to talk to you. They want to know how you're doing. And, that, and they want to feed you. Uh, very, very similar to the South, right? Like it was really cool. Uh, it was really cool to see that. And so we also got to go to church. And in the middle of the differences of, of, of language and culture and, and, and different things uh, that, that we experienced that were different, we, we found so much commonality there. We sang the, some of the same songs that we sing here. We went to a South African church service. Um, granted, it lasted over three hours, okay? So don't worry uh, about today. <clears throat> we're back in the States. But um, we had all these things that we thought were differences, but we, we had all these things in common. We sat there and we listened to a message um, about Jesus. They have some of the same concerns that we do about our society, about our culture, about, about who they're becoming. And, and this pastor brought us back to this question that I want to ask us today. I believe that the scriptures ask us this question. I believe that it is the central question in your life and mine. I believe the gospels ask us this question. I think that John himself writing this, this gospel asks us this question. It's the central church that we want, uh, question we want to be about as a church. And the question is this, what will you do with Jesus? It might not have been the first question on your mind today, but it's the most important question you will get asked today. Not because I'm asking it, but because it is the most important question that we can ask. What will you do with Jesus? And so in this next uh, two weeks, uh, this week and next, as we kind of conclude this first part in the series on John, I want to ask that, that, that question. And then this companion question that, that John also asks along the way, you know, John is asking and answering a question with his gospel. His question that he's asking and answering is, is this, what does love look like? He's saying, what, is, what does real love look like? And a lot of us have asked that question and tried to answer it in different ways. And we, we tend to think, oh, it looks like this uh, relationship. It looks like an emotion. It looks like a feeling that I want to, that I want to have. Um, maybe it, it looks like what you can do for me. Um, but John is saying, no, love in its utmost sense looks like a person. And it's the person of Jesus. Love looks like Jesus. So, so the question is this, what are you going to do with Jesus? Can we pause enough today, wherever you're coming from? You know, we want to be a church where you, you, uh, you can belong before you believe, and that means that you can come and you can be a part of things while you're figuring it out. We think that's the only way to really live. Nobody has it all figured out anyway. So we want to be a place where you can belong while you're figuring things out. I want to challenge you if that's where you are. If you're, if you're not in a place where you've yet trusted Christ with your, with your life and you're kicking the tires of faith, would you consider this question with me today? What are you going to do about, about Jesus? And so um, last week, we dug into the story in John chapter 8, the beginning of John chapter 8, where Jesus is, is speaking to these Pharisees who brought this woman in front of him, and she was caught in the act of adultery, and it was a trap, really, for, for her, but also really for Jesus. Uh, and, and they tried to trap him, and what ends up happening, go back and read the story, it's amazing. <coughs> Jesus sets her free. He sets her free in, in more ways than, than just one. He invites her into spiritual freedom. And that's kind of where we, we left off. Now, uh, I want to jump into chapter 9, but before I do that, what I want to say about the rest of chapter 8 in the book of John is that there are four promises that Jesus gives us. 
There are, there are four promises that he gives us. And now the whole context behind all of this is that the Pharisees are, are these uh, Jewish scholars who are looking for the Messiah. Like they're looking for the Savior and they're looking for signs. And, and, and throughout, John is saying, hey, here's your Messiah. Here's who, you know, Jesus is checking all these boxes. And the Pharisees just don't see it. But Jesus gives us these four promises. I want to make sure we hit those in John chapter 8 before we move on because they're so important. And the, the John 8, 12 says this, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the, the first promise that Jesus gives is this, that those who follow me will never walk in darkness. If you follow me, you're never going to walk in darkness. I'm the light of the world, he says. You don't have to walk in darkness any longer. And then he gives us the second promise. This is just in, just in chapter 8, the rest of chapter 8. The second promise is from verses 31 and 32. He says, <clears throat> the Jews, or Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. That's the second, the second promise that he, he gives us. The truth, and the truth is with a capital T because the truth is a person. The truth is a person. The truth will set you free. If you're struggling feeling the chains and the weight of sin, if you're struggling feeling the chains and the weight of some burdens in your life, Jesus offers freedom. Jesus offers freedom. There's, there's, a, there's a third promise that he gives us in verse 34, 35, and 36. He's answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the son sets you free, you will be free. You will be really free, he says. If the son sets you free, and that's the third truth he gives us in, the, in chapter 8. If the son sets you free, you will be truly free. You will be truly free. Free. No matter what this world can do to you, no matter what someone else can do to you, if, this, if Jesus sets you free, you will be truly free. And the last promise in, of, of chapter 8, uh, I just want to make sure you get these right before we finish this chapter. The last promise is this, John uh, uh, 8.51 says, Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He will never see death. He's talking about spiritual death. You won't see death. That's the fourth promise that he gives us in chapter 8 his promise of eternal life with, with him. And so all of that is the context for this next story that happens in uh, John chapter, chapter 9. And I, I love this interaction that he has with this person. I want you to read it with me. I want you to see it with me. So when Jesus passes by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples ask him, hey, uh, rabbi, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. That was a very common belief in that day, that if you have a, an issue like that, he was born blind, well, somebody must have done something wrong, right? Like somebody must have, have messed up. Was it, was it him or his parents that he was born blind? And so they ask him this, this question, and Jesus answered, it wasn't that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so uh, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And then verse 5 says this, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so uh, having said these things, here's what he did. This is kind of crazy. He spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, go, 
wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. Come on, right? He came back seeing. So, so, so did you get that picture? There's a guy sitting there. It's, it's on the Sabbath day, by the way. That'll become important here in a minute. But Jesus sees him. He passes by, and the disciples are like, why is this guy, you know, why, why is he blind? What caused that? And Jesus says, this is, this is, he's, he's here so that you might see the glory of God. And so he spits on the ground, mixes the spit with some mud, puts it on his eyes, and tells him to go do something, go wash and, and then he comes back. Now, um, the, the, the neighbors all realize what's happening. And, and they're, like, uh, they're like, wait, that guy can see now? Isn't that the guy who used to sit there and beg? Like, he's been there forever. And, and some of them said, yeah, that's the guy. And others said, no, that's not the same, that's not the same guy. And so they went and they found the, the guy. And he's like, yeah, that's what happened. This guy came along and he healed me. And they're like, where is Jesus and the guy's like, I don't know where he went because Jesus had walked off at that point. And so they take this man and they bring him in front of the Pharisees, the, the teachers, and they present him to, to them and, and, and they want them to see what Jesus has done. There's some of them that also want them to see that Jesus did something on the Sabbath. Okay, he, 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 he worked on the Sabbath. He did something on, on the Sabbath. And, 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 and so they're divided. The Pharisees are, are, are looking at this man. They're like, oh my goodness, this is... A, did, did, did this healing really happen? Remember, they're looking for the Messiah. They're looking for the Messiah. And, and so there's one camp that says, he did this on the Sabbath. He's not supposed to work on the Sabbath. That's our rule. That's our law. He must not be from God. And so this one camp says that. This other camp says, well, actually, first of all, for the first camp, he did it on the Sabbath. There's no way he could be from God. You know what they believe? They actually believe, I learned this just recently, when he spat on the ground... They were concerned that if he spat, this is wild, if he spat and it was on a hillside, that the, the saliva would move down the hill and create mud, therefore creating work, therefore being illegal. So if the saliva moved, collected mud, it would constitute Jesus working on the Sabbath, and therefore there's no way that he could have been of God because he was breaking the law. It's a wild way of thinking, isn't it? But that's what some of them thought, and so there was that camp. But then there was this other camp who was saying, how can a bad guy do great things like this? How, how could a, a guy who's breaking the law, a sinner, possibly heal someone? And so they were, they were conflicted. They were arguing with one another, and they said, well, call his parents. Let's find out if this guy really was born blind or not. And so they call his parents in, and here's what happens, John uh, 19 through 21. Is this your son? They have him right in front of them now. So his parents come in. They're in front of the council of the Pharisees, who you say was born blind. Is this him? How then does he now see? Can I? Um, well, yeah, go, verse 20. Let's just do that one. His parents answered, we know this is our son <laughs> and that he was born blind. Those are the things that we know. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Let's say a couple things about that. Um, this is true of us, too. It's no small decision to follow Jesus. It's no small decision to follow Jesus. It shouldn't be a small decision for you and for me to follow Jesus. His parents were afraid. They stood in front of the men who could determine the rest of their lives when it came to their community, 
when it came to their relationships, when it came to their involvement in the temple, when it came to their ability to go to festivals, when it came to their ability to celebrate and be a part of the society that they were in. And so they were standing in front of them going, um, yeah, that's our son. Did you catch that? They were like, that's our son. He was born blind, but we don't know what happened. Why don't you ask him? Ask him. And so to me, it's like a really sad passage because here are his parents who decide we're taking a step back from him. We're gonna let him stand on his own two feet. We don't know exactly what happened to them because they were so afraid of what these guys might do to them. There's no doubt. When you begin to follow Jesus, he will change your life. His invitation is into life change. Are you okay with that? I mean, I really want you to consider that today. Like, are you okay with, with him starting to, 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 to shape and mold you and kind of sand off some of the rough edges and maybe turn your life into something that you didn't intend? Are you okay with that? That's a question that you might just have to answer. Are you okay with him molding? Like, if you really want to follow him, you really want to be his disciple and not just a, not just a fan but a follower, right, um, you might have to hold it loosely because he's going to want to invite himself in to change some things. And it says, therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. And so the man gets summoned again in front of them, and they want to find out, isn't this Jesus guy just a sinner? Isn't he just a, a, a normal sinner like us? And so verse 25 says this, um, he answered, whether, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But look at this. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. You know how powerful that testimony is? Listen, if, if, you've, if you follow Jesus, you and me, like, here's what we're really responsible for with people around us. It's not to have some big theological argument uh, ready to go. It's not to have uh, all these bullet points where we need to share all these things with our friends. It's not to say something that, that doesn't feel natural to you. It's not to um, do something that puts you in the, on the spot too much. It's simply to say this, I was blind and now I see. I was blind, but now I see. I don't know. You know, I don't know all the other stuff. I'm not, I, don't, I can't figure the rest of it out. But I was emotionally frazzled, but now I have peace because of Jesus. Or I, I, I was feeling the weight of some bad decisions, but now I live in forgiveness and grace because of Jesus. Or maybe your I was blind and now I see is, hey, my life was feeling hopeless, but now I have hope. I have hope. You know how hard it is to argue with that from the other person's perspective? You can't argue with that. You just have to say, oh, wow, that's... Kind of amazing. I felt the burden of having to prove myself over and over and over again in life, but now I know I don't have to because Jesus accepts me just how I am. I was lonely, but now I know that Jesus is my constant companion. And that's not just Sunday school talk, right? That, that, that has proved to be real in my life. Over and over again. I was blind, now I see. How would your world change? How would people around you change if you just were able to say those things on a regular basis just to sell, tell your story of, of life change? 
That's the invitation. And this guy's um, story is just beautiful. I was blind, now I see. What else do you guys want to know? And, and so it, it goes on. He says, um, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And then he says this, which I think is hilarious. Do you also want to become his disciples? <clears throat> He's got this like edge to him, you know. Oh, you want to become his followers too? Maybe that's why you're talking to me. He knows better. But they're asking all these questions. They want to know all these things. And so uh, they reviled him. That's a word right there, reviled him, saying, you're his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. They're just being stubborn. They're being stubborn. One of, one of the, um, the signs of the Messiah was that he would come and heal. And, and specifically, actually, one of the signs of the Messiah they were looking for was that he would come and heal someone who had been born with the issue. That was one of the, the, the check marks they were looking for. It happens right in front of their eyes. And they still say, we don't know where he came from. Guys, at what point do you know enough? Like, at, at what point in your life do you know enough and you're just, if you're honest, you're just being stubborn. You're just not stepping across the line because you just don't want to. At least admit that to yourself, right? At least say, hey, I, I think I do know enough. I'm just being stubborn. I think that's what was going on here. Why, this is an amazing thing. The man said, you don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. You don't know where he comes from? Who, who else could do that? This guy was, uh, was saying. And then here's what they did. Threw him out. They cast him out. Following Jesus has a cost. It has a cost. But I got to tell you, this man walked away from um, this community who wouldn't buy into what had happened with him with his sight. And I, and I don't know this for a fact, but I, I, I just bet that this man ends up becoming one of the followers of Jesus and he never looked back. Sometimes what we think is a cost is actually an incredible benefit and we just need to look ahead, right? Like, like there's times where I bet he was walking away though, he was going, I see all the things I'm leaving, right? I see all the things I'm leaving behind. And that's easy for us to do, but I gotta tell you, when you begin to follow Jesus, the things that you think are gonna cost you a lot, the things that you think you're leaving behind, God replaces and multiplies over and over and over again in different ways. Um, it, it takes trust and a step, though, to do that, doesn't it? Like, it takes walking in faith, it takes stepping along, and it takes saying, okay, I'm just going to walk even though I'm, this is hard. I'm just going to believe even though this is difficult. I'm just going to go there even if I don't have all the answers yet. I'm just going to do what he says to do. I was blind, and now I see. And he's the one I'm following now. He's the one I'm following now. And so they cast him out. Now, uh, the, the story doesn't really end there. Actually, Jesus comes and finds him. He comes and finds the man after he hears that he's been cast out of the temple. He's been cast out. Jesus finds him. You know what he asks him? He didn't ask him about his eyes. He asked him this question, do you believe in me? This is the man that he healed. 
He, he's already healed him physically, right? Like, we tend to think, oh, healing is the, the, mo- the ultimate thing. Jesus is saying, no, your heart is the ultimate thing. Like, your heart is what I want. The healing is fine, but it's your heart that I want. Your heart is more important than your healing. And Jesus wants your heart. And so he says to the man, do you believe in me? Jesus is not about giving him another healing. He's about finding and wanting his heart. That's what he wants. And so in chapter 10, uh, we, we, we hear, we kind of change metaphors with Jesus a little bit, but I want to share the first couple of verses with you from chapter 10. Because again, um, what we find is this answer to who Jesus is. Like, who is Jesus to you? This is who he is inviting himself to be to you, okay? With this man who he healed and with you and with me. Uh, verse one, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, this man is a thief and a robber. He's starting to talk about sheep now, all right? You get your, get your ori- orientation here. Uh, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The, the, the sheep, listen to this, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. He calls them by name and he leads them them out. Verse 4 says, um, when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. They know the shepherd's voice. And then 5 says, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. So uh, one of the places we went when we were in South Africa, we actually went to another country. We went to Swaziland, um, which is actually now called Eswatini or the kingdom of Eswatini. Uh, small little country, it's kind of in the northeast, sort of surrounded by South Africa on the northeast corner. And uh, it's an absolute monarchy, actually, uh, that, that country. It's an absolute monarchy. There are, um, there are seven, I learned this, there are seven absolute monarchies in the world, by the way. Don't, you can come and name them to me uh, without Googling them. I'll give you Phil's guitar. Um, <laughs> but it's wild to kind of be in a country where, I mean, this king says things and they happen, right? So he changed the name of the country a couple of years ago to Eswatini. Just woke up one day, everybody was like, oh, we're our country's named something different today. And that's just kind of how that happened. But we were driving through and uh, they don't have a very good fence maintenance system in Eswatini. And so there are like animals all over the place. So when you're driving on the left side of the road, you also got to watch out for animals crossing in front of you. And uh, it's very challenging and kind of fun. But um, we, we would see these animals, and sometimes they were cattle, and sometimes we saw sheep, and they were just kind of grazing really, really close to the road. And, and often they would just walk across the road to find more grass or whatever. And a few times we saw mostly kids, like some kids and teenagers, kind of, kind of corralling these animals, corralling these animals. And, and, and what they were doing was they were calling out to them. And when they were calling out to them, the animal would recognize their, um, their, their shepherd or their owner's voice and come, whether it was to come across the street or come back over to where they were and to gather together. They would call out to them and the animals would recognize it and they would come. They would call out, the animals would recognize it and, 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 and they would come. They would move because they were responding to the calls and the voices of their owner. This passage says that Jesus is like a shepherd. And we're like the sheep. What kind of shepherd knows the name, like, like, like has names for their sheep? Like, I don't know if these guys had names for their cattle or names for their sheep down in Swaziland, but, uh, but, but what kind of shepherd must it be to not only call out to your sheep, but to have names for your sheep? I'll tell you this, one who loves them. 
One who loves them, one who cares for them deeply, one who cares for them intimately. Can you imagine that? Listen, he knows your name. Like he knows your name. He has a name for you that's different than anyone else. He knows your name. He calls it out. And you know the other part of that? Like he knows your name, that's, that's, on, that's on him. There's a part of you that knows his voice. There's a part of you that knows his voice, even if you don't think you do today. Like you've been imprinted with the fingerprint of God in your life, and you know what that gives you? That gives you the ability to know and to hear his voice. You can hear his voice because you're his child. You're his, you're his, you're his sheep. He knows your name, and you can recognize his voice uh, that, that's personal deep within you. Deep within you. And he's inviting you closer. He's inviting you to follow. And there are moments in your life where you can hear the voice of God speak to your heart. And it probably won't be in an audible way. Maybe it will, who knows? But it'll probably be in a way that your heart can hear, that your heart can understand. Verse nine says, I'm the door. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief, listen to this. The thief, there's a thief. And he comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's his offer to you, abundant life. Abundant life. There's a thief that wants to come and steal and kill and destroy. Make no mistake, his invitation is for protection and into life abundant. And then finally, this last... Um, couple of verses. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's the kind of shepherd he is. Where one goes wandering off, something dangerous happens, he stands in the way. The truth is this, what he's saying is that we have gone wandering off, right? And something dangerous, the most dangerous thing, happened to us. Um, death, spiritual death caused by sin, happening to us. And he said, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to stand in the way of that. I'm going to take that on myself. And that's what I'm doing on the cross. That's what I'm doing on the cross. So to these people in, in John's day, Jesus showed himself to be healer and forgiver and a shepherd, like a good shepherd and a savior. Who is he to you? Who is he to you? My invitation to you today is that you would respond by calling him savior whether you've called him savior a million times in your life or maybe today's the first time. All you have to do is say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you're the shepherd, I'm the sheep, I've been wandering, but you've saved me and you are my savior and I'm recognizing that today. Um, I'm gonna pray and give you an opportunity to do that right now. And I'm also gonna pray for those of us who are following Jesus, but we feel like dumb sheep sometimes, right? Because sheep ain't the smartest animals in the world. He loves you. <laughs> he knows your name. He pulls you into his pen. He says, it's okay, walk with me, I'll show you the way to go. 
What a beautiful thing, right? Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.